All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the Mad Nucleus Podcast. I'm your host. For those that don't know, I'm Justin Felton. And for those that do know, I'm Justin Felton. And thank you all for listening once again to this episode. Again, if you haven't signed up to Anchor, or Spotify, all you need is your email and the password, and you're in there. All right. Today's episode is a very special episode. And why is it very special? Because this weekend, today on March 18th, 2022, we are celebrating the one-year anniversary of Zack Snyder's Justice League, a.k.a. the Snyder Cut. And all weekend... I mean, it's going to be crazy. It's going to be crazy all weekend. When you look at Twitter, when you look at YouTube, some of the stuff on Facebook, Instagram is going to be crazy. And March 18th, today is the day that the Snyder Cut dropped one year ago in 2021. And we are celebrating its one year anniversary and how it still resonates to this day and what's been going on. And This podcast is special because I want to take you back to how it all started, what it's about, you know, going forward, you know, how we came to be. I'm going to tell you the story, you know, and we must take it back to where it all began. So this is more so a retrospect and the full story of the Snyder Cut, according to the information that was gathered, you know, what I've got. So without further ado, here goes. The story actually started back in 2013 after the release and success of Man of Steel. Man of Steel, if you can remember, if you were paying attention, was the most successful Superman movie ever. It grossed nearly $700 million. It it grossed $668 million to be exact. And it was enough for Warner Brothers to move forward with the franchise and the exec at the time by the name of Barry Meyer had stepped down the week after the release of the Snyder cut, but he had gave the full blessing to greenlight a shared universe franchise of DC comics. Uh, Of course, with with Christopher Nolan backing Zack Snyder, who was the director of the film and was going to be the architect with proper backing of Nolan and Meyer, everything was all set. Zack Snyder had a plan. His wife, also a part of the plan, they had plans. And then when Barry Meyer stepped down, they appointed a man by the name of Kevin Sujahara, who almost pretty much immediately, immediately, I think at that Comic-Con or something like that uh, made them say, look, um, we're fresh off of Batman. Batman was red hot. Brat- Batman had dropped a year before in 212, uh, The Dark Knight Rises. The conclusion of the Nolan trilogy had dropped. And Kevin Sujara said, people are still hot off the griddle over, over Batman. Put Batman in your next movie. And the plan for Zack Snyder was to put Batman in the movie, but not to the the, the, the capacity of what you saw in BVS. He was going to make Man of Steel 2, then a Batman movie, 
you know, get that produced and stuff like that, and then put out Wonder Woman. He was going to work them in to the sequel and stuff. That's that's what we had gathered at the time, but they fast-tracked it. Kevin Sujihara, Toby Emmerich, and whoever else was in charge at the time fast-tracked the um, prequel, not the sequel, which is known as Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice. Um, This is crazy, though. You know, if you want to do some universe building, you would want to work on solos first. And maybe Zach wasn't convincing enough or maybe Christopher Nolan wasn't convincing enough. But Christopher Nolan was working on his own projects at the time and Warner Brothers did not dare to mess with him and question him on his stuff. But maybe Zach wasn't convincing enough to tell them, look. I want to get the Trinity on screen together, but first we have to put out solos and stuff. And of course, Kevin Sujihara and them was probably like, well, why, why do we have to do another Batman solo? They, they, they already had that. I was like, no, but this is a, this is a different Batman. This is in a shared universe with all these heroes with these special abilities and stuff like that. You know, let's get that off the ground. Let's get Wonder Woman's first ever live action movie off the ground. Let's do all of this first, you know, and, you know, we can do, you know, spinoffs and stuff like that. Then we can do Justice League and stuff. We can do a Trinity film. We got to also get the other uh, hero stories told, like Flash, like Aquaman, like Cyborg, like Green Lantern, possibly others like Green Arrow, Martian Manhunter and all that stuff. But I don't think he was convincing enough to them. Zach being the nice guy that he is wasn't convincing enough. And there we have it. You're getting Batman versus Superman on the screen for the first time fighting each other. And it's going to be Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice leading into the Justice League. Sounds good, but it was rushed. Very rushed. I liked both films, but you know, they could have did some stuff in between, you know, wait it out, be a little more patient, but now nah, they wanted to play catch up to Marvel and Disney and all of that stuff. So he makes Batman versus Superman. And what do you know? They compromise his work. They cut out 30 minutes of his film. Remember, this movie was fast-tracked. He had to incorporate a lot in this movie. He had to introduce a villain. He, he introduced Lex Luthor. He had to introduce the Doomsday. He had to introduce Wonder Woman, Batman. Four characters he had to introduce in one movie. There was no way in the world you could fit it all in two and a half hours without it being coherent. The third, the extra 30 minutes filled it out. And plus, he had to develop Lois Lane more. He had to develop... Superman as Clark Kent more. And, you know, all this was, was, you know, he was trying to develop for the sequel, but he had to fast track it and incorporate it in Batman versus Superman. Um, he had to rewrite stuff. Him and um, Chris Terrio collaborated for Batman versus Superman but previously, David Goya wrote for Man of Steel, which was, you know, 
near perfect. I love the movie and stuff like that. David Goya did a good job. You know, he has his flaws and stuff, but I still love the movie. And they should have kept Goya and add Chris Terrio because Chris Terrio is a Oscar winning writer. So that would make sense that all of them could collaborate and come up with something for a sequel instead of the prequel yet because the, the, the prequel could have came a little later. In fact, uh, Justice League, as we speak, probably would be dropping this year. But we're getting to what led to the Snyder Cut, the Justice League debacle and all this stuff. So Justice League gets a bad critical reception. And boy, I remember at the time it was just a bad time being a DC fan because of all the negativity, the press, uh, the Rotten Tomato scores and things like that. It really took a toll on the fandom. It took a toll on Zach. You could see it. But the man pushed through. It took a toll on probably some of the cast and crew members, you know, who had participated in the film to great capacity. I mean, you know, Ben Affleck and uh, Gal Gadot won over fans and stuff, but I'm sure they didn't appreciate the bad reception that the movie got. Jesse Eisenberg, it was uh, kind of a negative res uh, reception as well of his portrayal of Lex Luthor. So the studio panicked. The studio had panicked big time. Sure, they went into Justice League ready to film the movie in April 11th, 2016. And the, the, the reports that I was getting, you know, I didn't get any bad reports or bad, bad vibes. Maybe I wasn't digging deep enough. And of course, I wasn't watching as many YouTube channels with those so-called scoopers and YouTubers with agendas and stuff like that for all the scooping of all the reports. But I remember reading about a set visit and stuff like that, and they gave it a positive reception on what the stuff they saw. They visited the uh set during the uh tunnel battle scene and you know they had talked about some of the stuff they seen in the concept art the props and stuff like that and it was nothing but positivity they got interviews with the cast and crew and alluded to some rumors and stuff like that nothing really major and all throughout the production and stuff they put out the first like footage of the movie at the comic-con that year they were filming which i thought was Decent footage, not the greatest in the world. Remember, they were still filming the movie and, you know, the previews and stuff wasn't even worked on nearly as much as what they would do in post-production and stuff. And a lot of people was, you know, this and this and that, not even giving it a chance to finish first. You know, remember when they release footage like that, they're not done with it. They're not done with it. They're still filming, you know. And all that other stuff. So throughout the movie, they had test screenings around September that year, around Labor Day. I remember they had these so-called test screenings. And one of the people said the movie was uh, rumored to be about two hours and about 30, 35 minutes. That's the cut they shown. And. He said this cut didn't have Lex Luthor in it. And of course, Lex Luthor wasn't in the Snyder Cut much, much as I hoped he'd be, you know, to explain certain things and stuff like that. But 
they said Lex Luthor wasn't in the cut, and I think Iris West wasn't in the cut and stuff, meaning that the that scene that you've seen in the Snyder cut was out. This is the cut that they show at the test screeners, and it was mixed. And again, it wasn't good enough for Warner Brothers, and you know, they kind of panicked. So Zach finishes the movie in October of 216. And immediately they go to work on post-production and he, that's what he was doing. He shows pictures of ADR shots with Gal Gadot, some other stuff. And for the next five months, you know, that's what he was doing, working on the post-production, the ADR, the previs, the sound, the editing and stuff like that. That's what they do in post-production. Um, Then he releases the first trailer and... He had this trailer made about a few weeks prior. I'm going to, for many of you, his daughter passed away, committed suicide. This hits home for me because she committed suicide on my birthday which was March 12, 2016. His daughter committed suicide and, you know, that's devastating for a parent to lose a child like that. You know, and nevertheless, he put out the trailer. He left the production because of the death of his daughter. He put out the trailer on the one-year anniversary of BVS. March 25th of 2017. The movie dropped the year before that. And the trailer, by all means, was fantastic to me. They didn't reveal a whole lot and they showed some cool stuff. Um, We're going to get into that. We're going to get into what happens next. So, you know, we're going to get into what happens next. You're going to like this because this is chapter one of me getting into this. So, you know, we're going to take a little break and I'll be back with that. Okay. Welcome back, everybody. Now we're going to dive into 
the nitty gritty, get down to the nitty gritty of what happens next. And what happens next already, you know, pissed a lot of fans off. They've been through this a hundred thousand times and they're still discussing it to this day. But this is for those that don't know or are kind of curious. If you're curious, why so curious? Well, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you about what I know. And this is something that they've never, ever denied, but they tried to cover it up. They tried to smooth it over. As I mentioned in the previous segment, Zack Snyder's daughter had committed suicide. Devastating, right? I mean, that's heartbreaking. Sad, madness, everything goes through your mind. Cannot imagine what that man is going through or was going through at the time. But, you know, if you were a good, decent human being, your heart is with that man. Even to this day, five years later. So what happens next was he steps down, like I said, from the production to deal with the death of his daughter. Of course, Debbie, she walks away too. But Warner Brothers, of course, they're going to put on a front saying that their hearts and their prayers, all that stuff is with them and stuff because that's the proper thing to say and stuff. But deep down, they were happy. They were happy. I kid you not, I'm probably going to catch flack for this. But they were probably looking at Autumn's death as a blessing in disguise for them. I kid you not. Because they couldn't wait to get rid of him. They didn't have the gall to really fire him because I guess they were going to fulfill his contract. Let him direct Justice League and stuff like that. And if it didn't go well for them, you know, they weren't going to bring him back. But they couldn't wait to get rid of him. The executives did not like Zack Snyder. They don't like Zack Snyder. The, the current dummies that's in there now, which they will not be in there, and I'm going to talk about that. They won't be there for very long. Put it this way. They did not like Zack Snyder at all, and man, they were licking their chops. They were like wolves that smelt blood. That saw they were like lambs to the slaughter. They they, they 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 were like wolves that saw sheep, you know, sharks and blood and water. They could not wait for that man to get rid of that man somehow, some way. So they made drastic changes over the next few months. Did these extensive reshoots starting in the summer, and they go and hire a guy by the name of Joss Whedon, who by all intents and purposes, was bought in to the bought in there just to write additional scenes for the movie and, you know, basically be a consultant, he said in his interview. That's 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 a whole different story. But, but this is what he said in his most recent interview after being silenced for two years. But I remember the lie they printed I'm going to tell you this, I kid you not. This is what they did. The lie that they printed was that Zack Snyder personally called Joss Whedon in to help him with the post-production of doing the reshoots or to write additional scenes. They said Zack Snyder bought him in to do that. And, and you know what? To be honest with you, 
I was cool. I was like, that's awesome, bro. This is going, this is going to rock. This is going to do this. This is going to do that. It was like being a kid in a candy store because of what he did with Avengers, right? Oh man, long silence, man. I'm trying to gather my thoughts, bro. I'm trying to get it all together, folks. You got to forgive me. And it turned out it was a total lie. Like I said, it was a lie. Straight up lie through the skin of your teeth. Liar, liar, pants on fire type shit, man. Um, Something I've had failed to overlook um, was that these two guys have two totally different and conflicting styles of directing and writing. One caught more heat than the other for stuff because of previous success of one half. But these two couldn't be totally different. And boy, 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 when when he was named the director of the reshoots, you could pretty much tell. Like, what in the blue hell was that garbage that they thought was going to get over on audiences? So in the summer, like I said, they go through these extensive reshoots and when they put the word extensive reshoots, fans started to worry a bit. And those reshoots lasted pretty much all summer. From like June to the end of August, I believe. And then they had to go and hire Danny Elfman to score the music and it was all rushed. You know, the, the, the editing and the previous, that was all rushed. They had basically two months to complete the assignment. And oh, by the way, Kevin Sujahara also mandated a two-hour movie. I want y'all to think about this. Without all the characters being fully fleshed out and other and, and other characters that, as you know, were in this movie, without all the, the the main characters fully fleshed out, he mandates a two-hour Justice League movie. Wow. And when my initial thoughts of when I read the news on that, and I said, "Oh God, no! Please, God, don't do this." The only glimmer of hope I had was, as long as it's still good, I'm good with it. But I knew in back of my gut, in back of my mind, that wasn't going to be the case at all. Because like I said, you had characters to flesh out that, that, that were making their big screen debuts and they never got that chance. But his main reason for doing so was to fit in more showtimes. A two-hour movie, you could get... Let's see, they, they start playing movies at about 10 o'clock in the morning now. You know, and then you got to factor in the previews and then, you know, the time to clean up the theaters for the next showing. You could get about maybe 10 showings in in the day. Maybe, or a dozen with a two-hour movie. That's what they were looking at. But they weren't thinking about putting a coherent movie out. And they certainly won't listen in the fans. Not to me, they won't. It don't seem like they were listening to me. They won't listen to you. For those of you who are fans of it, they weren't listening to the people that know. 
they weren't listening to the storyboard artists and stuff like that, but a two-hour Justice League movie. The first on-screen debut of something that's been around for several generations gets only two hours of a showcase. And then it came clear to me that the executives, the head honchos, only knew of Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman, the the people from the Super Friends, but did not know comic lore, did not know that these uh these supporting characters and these central characters played bigger roles to the lives of these heroes and these villains. They didn't they didn't they didn't understand that. They had people there that knew, but they were in no position to have any say so. And they gave weed and free reign to do certain stuff that did not make sense to the Lord, the, 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 the continuity and stuff like that. It, it didn't make sense. Um, there's more stuff uh, in the next segment I'm going to cover. But this thing, okay, they're going hire Danny Elfman, who is a legend in the business as a composer. This man composed the first Batman movie. You know, the, the, the Tim Burton Batmans and the Shoemaker Batmans, he was the composer of that. He did Beetlejuice. Him and Tim Burton often collaborated, but he also did Scrooge or the Richard Donner film. He did so many other movies. He scored so many movies and they were, for the most part, in my opinion, great scores. But his style did not fit this style. Hans Zimmer scored Man of Steel. Hans Zimmer did the score of BVS along with Junkie XL. Those two guys' style fits with Zack Snyder. Hans Zimmer more so with Christopher Nolan. He was his longtime Composer for years and years, composing, you know, to me, which should be Oscar winning, winning scores myself with Christopher Nolan, but Junkie XL fit Zack Snyder. And Junkie XL himself said that he had pieces written for the soundtrack. You know, he had pretty much figured out what he wanted with the soundtrack, you know. He had pretty much saw, you know, an unfinished cut of what Zach wanted and had pieces written down for the soundtrack and stuff like that. That's what he said. And I don't think Tom Hokenberg is a liar, a.k.a. Junkie XL. I wouldn't dare call that man a liar. That guy's brilliant at his craft. Go listen to the Zack Snyder's Justice League um, soundtrack right now and tell me that dude don't got some brilliant stuff going on in that soundtrack. And go look up his other stuff. Elfman, I won't put the blame on him. His score wasn't very good for it, but he didn't have enough time to repair. But it seems like he wanted to re revisit nostalgia by putting in pieces of John Williams' Superman score and his old Batman score from the Burton and Shoemaker Batmans. Didn't go over so well, and the fans hated it. It's not one song on that soundtrack besides... Uh, the cover version of Come Together 
that people like. Nobody liked that score. That score was bunk. It was garbage. It was trash. Pure and total trash. Sorry, Danny, but that was trash. But I don't fully fault you because you were in a rush. You had basically a month to compose that score if you had that much time. So I don't put the full blame on you. But that shit was totally trash, bro. And then we go back to weeding the editing process. And I also read something pretty interesting. They had talked to one of the editors of the film. One of the editors had recently passed away. Um, um, was it Richard Bremner? But they, they were talking to him and there were two other guys who was editors for like Wonder Woman, you know, Man of Steel, BVS, and now Justice League. It was about three or four of those guys editing that movie for, for, for the theatrical cut. And he basically says something like, are you sure you want to cut all this? And, you know, of course, Kevin Sujahara said, do it. And he was like, well, okay. He was only doing his job, so you can't put the uh, blame on the editors. But I'm pretty sure they were alluding to like, oh boy, you better hope this goes well. And boy, did a powder keg explode came the release date. November 17th, 2017, a week before Thanksgiving. So here we are. The cast and crew is doing all the press junkets and stuff and all of that. And here we are. And before I get into that, also something else was Henry Cavill was brought on back to do the reshoots along with the rest of the cast and crew. And he was doing Mission Impossible Fallout. And in Mission Impossible Fallout, he has a mustache. He has a, a beard. He has, you know, five o'clock shadow beard, kind of, you know, it, it has hair and stubble. And he also has a mustache. Warner Brothers had asked um, Paramount, which made, which was making Mission Impossible Fallout for permission can Henry shave his mustache cause so we can get back his Superman look? They said, uh-uh. We need him. He's going to be filming throughout this whole movie. So they said, uh-uh. But we need him for reshoots. I was like, sorry, Kimasabi. We can't help you there. <laughs> and of course, we didn't see Henry's face none during the production or the post-production. But he did take a, a picture of him in his Superman suit, showing his boots, you know, his feet resting on the table, you know, drinking coffee or, you know, whatever drink he was drinking. But we didn't see his face. And boy, if we'd have saw his face, it would have been like, yeah, the hairstylist and stuff like that is going to have to have a job and the CGI and stuff because they had to, that means they had to CGI his mustache. They call it mustache gate. Which brings us back to when the movie was released on November 17th, 2017. The Gentry, the opening day, the big day for fans worldwide to see it. The, the negative reviews, the embargo lifts was already out. You know, I pretty much felt it was going to be negative reviews, but I was holding on to a wing and a prayer. I'll admit it. Hoping it would get positive reviews, but I knew it was going to get negative reviews. And I think the runtime had a lot to do with it because it was so much 
left to be desired and so much that didn't make sense because of a two-hour mandate. And after the negative press came out and fans wanted to find ways to like it and love it, but they knew the movie was totally freaking trash. It was garbage. Booty sauce, booty meat, ass chips, ass noodles. It was totally garbage, trash, glad bag, hefty bag garbage. The theatrical cut was for most of us. There's people that there's people that still like that theatrical cut and they even prefer it over the Snyder cut. And that's okay because that's their opinion. But ain't no way in the world you can convince me that freaking trash was coherent or better than the Snyder cut. No way. I got so much in the Snyder cut that made sense more than the theatrical cut. If you want to debate me, let's debate. You will get thrown into the water of sharks with it. You will get owned by me on that. Remember, you only got two hours. I got four. I got the advantage there. I don't know what advantages I can give you on that, but you know, nobody can convince me otherwise that that movie is totally trash. It had some moments in it, but overall it won't enough to make the movie better. That theatrical cut was totally freaking trash, bro. And I wanted it to be good. You root for it. Sometimes part of you is in denial about it. But now, no way you can convince me that's, that, 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 that movie is good. I still have it. And I'm hoping to sell it to somebody. Otherwise, I should have burnt it with the rest of the Snyder Cut fandom. Seriously, there was videos when the Snyder Cut was, was announced. People, um, there was videos on YouTube. People... Put in, put on the, you know, the, the gasoline, the lighter fluid, lit it on fire, and burnt the DVDs and Blu-rays. No lie, it's on YouTube. But it's totally freaking trash, bro. And they gave Joss Whedon free reign, like I said, for all that mess, which leads into the next thing. We're gonna talk about that in the next segment. All right. So I'll see y'all in a bit.
Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. Third chapter. Y'all interested in that? Are you interested now? Are you you're striving for more, starving for more? I know I am. I already got it. But this is for your stomachs. This is for your brains. All right. To get down to business, to get back to what we were. All right, we're at the premiere and the aftermath and you know everybody at dc are laughing stocks the fans are being laughed at they're being bullied and everything in between they're being bullied laughed at you know finger pointing all that good stuff right (laughs) and everybody was having a good old time watching dc fail like Believe it or not, they talk about it. They wanted it to succeed. And who I'm talking about is the other side, Marvel. And people who hated Zack Snyder enjoyed seeing them fail, even though it was not his movie. He never got to finish his movie. Which brings us into the next set of topics. Now, this segment is probably going to be a little longer because this is in the aftermath. This is what happens next. Okay, we enter into 2018 and people had noticed the difference in the first official trailers. The first trailer that was released as opposed to the later trailers, how footage from the first trailer was not shown in the later trailers and they usually showed some of the same scenes throughout most of the trailers they released. And people noticed vast differences. One was the color palette. The color palette was off because, you know, it was like, okay, this is more lighter. These later trailers are more lighter. The first trailer was a little bit more darker. And that goes back to the contrasting, conflicted styles of the two directors that were involved in this process. Zack Snyder and Joss Whedon. The theatrical version was dubbed Justice League because it had him written all over it. Yes. And believe me, Joss Whedon had a, has or has, still kind of has, but had a cult of followers, a legit cult now of people who actually praised him on a shrine. They praised that man like he was God Almighty Jesus on a shrine. I kid you not. And if you read that article he did about two months ago, you would know what I'm talking about. In the beginning of the article, in fact. Like, wow. But anyway, their their styles were conflicting and fans noticed stuff. And fans was like, you know something? Zach has another cut of this movie. And Zack Snyder had confirmed it. I have my own movie. You know, I never got to finish it. But yeah, there's another cut of Zack's movie and they dubbed it the Snyder Cut because they noticed too many uh, discrepancies. They noticed stuff missing. I mean, you got fans on YouTube and the internet, they spot everything. They, They go and analyze everything frame by frame by frame looking for stuff, and they find it. 
I mean, these are people we're talking about with too much time on their hands. Like, literally. They, they spot everything, bro. It's amazing. People like that need their own TV show and get paid for it because they spot stuff. I ain't knocking their hus hustle, man. I ain't. Listen. These people save people's lives and jobs and even cost people jobs too, but they spot everything. And the studio was dumb enough to believe that nobody would spot certain stuff, similarities. They wouldn't spot differences, discrepancies. The studio in dummy mode really thought that. And they dubbed this the Snyder Cut. And since the evidence was clear, they came up with the hashtag in the movement called Release the Snyder Cut. Yeah. And, 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 and to get off the subject a little bit, Warner Brothers was going through a change. Okay. Because the release of Justice League had failed so bad, it forced their hand. It forced shakeups and changes. There were rumors that they were going to push the movie back a date which would have been probably smarter for them to do. But they had already began promoting the movie, even in the process of when they was really reshooting and, and, and editing everything out. Um, there were rumors that they were going to move the movie back, but they did not for one specific reason. That specific reason is the easiest, most obvious reason. Money. But here's the catch. Justice League was released during the holiday season. The holiday season starts right after Halloween and ends right after the new year. It was released a week before Thanksgiving. It was their last release also of the year. Meaning, after the new year, they collect Christmas bonuses. That's what they were looking for. They were hoping this movie was going to bank so hard with all the changes and all the BS drama that was going on and all the politics going on, they were hoping to bank and get Christmas bonuses, get the bag. They probably got Christmas bonuses, but not as big as they thought, not as big as they hoped because they got to pay back those investors. They had lost money. They had put so much more money in to correcting the Justice League movie. They screwed themselves over with it. And this forced shakeups and changes. Kevin Sujahara uh, was forced to redo the, the, the DC division, forced Jeff Johns to step down, that total prick. He needs to just stick with comic books. He stepped down to an advisory role. They're still adapting scripts from his uh, comic books and stuff. But he was the president of DC Films and Zack Snyder and David Ayer had a hard time with Jeff Johns. Patty Jenkins uh, kind of had a hard time with Jeff Johns. She's the director of Wonder Woman and Wonder Woman 84, that trash ass movie. Thanks to Jeff Johns and his bullshit. 
But he was forced to step down as D.C. president and Toby Emmerich names his bestie by the name of Walter Hamada as the president of D.C. Films. Also, Toby Emmerich gets put in... He he steps down from co-chair for a little bit only to be named back to his original position again. Take his power away to give it back to him sometime later. And what did these shakeups have to do with uh, the, the Snyder Cut? I'm going to get to it because um, this the Justice League failure forced their hand. But also, Zack Snyder reemerged on the scene. He gets on the platform, Vero, as well as he has a Twitter too. He has a Twitter too, but he's more so on the Vero platform. And he's actually talking with fans. He's actually answering fans' questions. He's actually corresponding with them. He's actually listening to fans. And over the course of two, the next two years, he releases all these, these images from his reported Snyder Cut and stuff. And then when some of the YouTubers got wind of it, a lot of his haters and a lot of people who hate all the Marvel Tards and the anti-Snyder people were saying it doesn't exist. It's just pictures. It doesn't exist. That It doesn't exist. That's what they kept saying. It doesn't exist. And I was like, let me explain something to you. Just because the movie isn't finished doesn't mean the footage didn't exist or the steals didn't exist. Nobody said in finished form that this movie existed in a finished form. Not even. We're just simply saying he shot footage that wasn't seen in the movie that would have been in his movie had he got a chance to finish it. Nobody said the movie existed in finished form. So this it didn't exist with something downplayed by, you know, the movie is ready to go. No, we, we know it wasn't ready to go because we was keeping up with the post-production process of it and how he left in the middle of post-production with about 30% of it complete um, we knew it, it wasn't finished we knew it was not finished at all then we get to the point where um, all this information was gathered about the rumored Snyder Cut and again it's a hit piece and they were downplaying the possibility that the movie you know was never going to see the light of day and why it didn't exist Saying stuff that, uh, oh, uh, Superman and Batman got the worst reception and and, and, and and nobody cared about Cyborg and all this other stuff. And it's on the Wikipedia page of, it was just crazy. And, you know, Toby Emmerich had deemed it unwatchable. I'm telling you, it's crazy, ain't it? And it's like, of course it's unwatchable because he didn't get to finish his stuff. He was releasing images of unfinished um, previs stuff and stuff that didn't really need too much previs. He was releasing all these crazy images in black and white. He was releasing a whole lot of stuff in black and white and Toby Emmerich had the nerve to deem it unwatchable because it wasn't finished. That's the only reason why it was unwatchable. Also, 
in 219, take it to the next year. Um, in November of 219, Zack Snyder himself confirmed that the talks for getting the Snyder cut done because AT&T was the previous merger that bought Warner Brothers was looking to expand and looking to find ways to get money and, you know, get subscribers for this new platform called HBO Max that everybody and all the YouTubers got wind of. And he figured, you know, this is hot. You know, this this movement is hot. It's the, the fandom, this worldwide phenomenon. This is hot. We need to get this done. So he enters in negotiations with Zach and they get the deal done to do the Snyder Cut. But the stipulation was for him not to announce it for another five months or so. So the perfect genius that Zach is, Zach does a couple of watch parties. In particular, he does a watch party for Man of Steel first, have a Q&A. He has Henry Cavill as a guest and some YouTubers, and they do a Q&A of this and this and that. Then he says, next week, watch party for v BVS. Everybody tunes in for it. I was tuning in for it for both of them. And Henry Cavill tells Zack Snyder, this is the golden moment. Zack Snyder tells... I mean, uh, uh, Henry Cavill tells Zack Snyder, do you think we need to tell him? You need think we need to reveal it? Go ahead and reveal it. You know, he was like, yeah, I think I'm going to reveal it. So he puts that paper saying the Snyder Cut is coming. And man, the internet exploded. Everybody was going bonkers. The people were crying. They were clapping. They were, you know, it was, it was a day of victory, bro. Victory was ours. It was our time to shine. It was our time to shine. Yes, sir. I consider myself a part of the fandom because it was more so about artistic integrity. Never mind what kind of movie it was, but anytime you hear about a director's movie being compromised, it's about artistic integrity. That's what it was about for me. And, you know, we get to see something after seeing all the pictures and stuff he released, everything was, we were going to see all of that. We did. It didn't disappoint. There was some other stuff I was hoping to see, but it wasn't in the movie or wasn't even written in. It wasn't in the movie, but that's okay because that's something that could be saved for a later time, but it was victory for everybody. It was cause to rejoice. It was a party. I'm pretty sure a lot of people went out and celebrated a good time that we were getting the Snyder cut. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And to move forward, you know, this was in when he announced it, it was in 2020. May of 2020. Oh, uh, no. Oh. Uh, no, he told him not to announce it for about six or seven months because he he did the watch party on the anniversary of Man of Steel, which would have been seven years old at the time. And he did the watch party then. And then the next week he does BVS. You know, why not follow through for those who love BVS? Donna Justice. The OJ. Why not just follow through with that? And he did it. And that was when the real reveal came. 
that type of trilogy is complete now that we're getting it. And he had some stuff to work on. So they go through the negotiations. He needed 70 more million dollars to complete it and stuff and get it right and film some additional stuff, which was the nightmare sequence in that movie. And it was worth it. Well worth it. But I want to touch base on some other stuff that we didn't know and why we are here with the Snyder Cut calling it the Snyder Cut. Uh, actor Ray Fisher, who played Cyborg in the movie, dropped a bombshell that turned into some sort of, you could say somewhat of a powder keg. He talked about how at the Comic-Con in 217, how he was putting over Josh Reading and praising him and all that good stuff. And he said, I would like to retract every bit of this statement. Nah, Josh is a prick. He's abusive. He was unprofessional. And he was gross in his behavior. And man, that set the internet off. It, it, it received a lot of positive and a lot of negative reviews. The positive is he's calling out a prick that a lot of people didn't like. And the negative was... Josh Whedon, like I said earlier, had his cult of followers. He had a cult, a toxic, dangerous cult of followers. And also, a lot of people felt it would have compromised releasing the Snyder Cut. You know, he was telling Warner Brothers, yeah, you got to do something about this. Let's investigate this. Let's do something about this. Clean it up, do right, and all that stuff. But they didn't want to do right by that. They didn't want to do right by that man. Why? Because he was a lesser known actor? You felt he didn't have proof? He had receipts. But he was still under NDA is the reason why he did not come forward earlier for it. And he and some of the um, gross abuses on the set started to see the light over time over the next year or so. You know, when the Snyder Cut released and all that stuff. Um, what was I about to say? But um, all this stuff started coming out. And they um, Ray Fisher wanted to launch a third-party investigation. And people was saying, why didn't he come out sooner? Why didn't you know he say something sooner? One, he was under NDA, like I said. But also, he said in an interview, he said, I wanted to keep quiet about it for, you know, the, you know, the sick not to ruin stuff for anybody, but he had got some highly concerning and disturbing information, I guess, in a text or a phone call with somebody who was in a meeting with Jeff Johns and crew. Or, and it also may have involved Joss Whedon. And I suspect that this person got mad with them and decided to spill the beans on it. So they relayed the information to Ray and he decided to say, okay, I'm going to blow this thing wide open. And that conversation was, it turned out later, he tweets about it saying that Jeff Johns did not want to have an angry black man at the center of the movie. Folks, remember they cut two and a half hours of this movie they actually cut three hours, actually, of this movie and reshot about an hour of it, an hour and a half. They cut about three hours 
of Zach's movie because originally Zach's movie was going to be three hours and 34 minutes. He said this at his first ever Zack Snyder's con he had out there in uh, Los Angeles and Burbank and all that. You know, he was signing posters saying that his original cut, he had cut, he had several cuts, but the cut he wanted to release was three hours and 34 minutes, which is 214 minutes, which was a set of trend to tweet on Valentine's Day, 214. He wanted to release a three hour and 30 minute cut. And rumored the theatrical cut he would have released was, was going to be about two hours and 45 minutes, which would have been perfect for me. That's long enough. But going back to the Ray Fisher situation, they had cut out all of his scenes, all of his important scenes you got to see in the Snyder Cut. And back to what I said earlier about that, that, that conversation in that meet. And he also said they, they mentioned something about Cyborg's genitals. Like, this man is a, a robot. He's written as a robot. He doesn't have any genitals. His body, half it, most of his body was blown to smithereens or destroyed. So if they were really talking about, you know, black genitalia, this goes back to that old Hollyweird obsession with mandingos and Black women with firm, fit, perfect bodies. Sexually, how they look at us and envy us and stuff is just sick and disgusting. And it's sad you still got types like that in Hollywood, if that's indeed true. Some very disturbing stuff, I'm pretty sure, was said in those meetings. And I don't blame Ray for coming out and, and, and saying something. He's had his share of haters and doubters and he's had his share of supporters. But one thing is for sure is they didn't deny most of that stuff. They denied, they denied some of it and even came out with his pieces on that man. But, you know, Warner Brothers' actions proved otherwise. And when Joss Whedon released that, that um, came out with that, when they did that interview with Joss Whedon on um, the New York Times or something like that, and they released it on Martin Luther King's birthday to gaslight Ray Fisher. Reading that interview, Joss Whedon didn't do himself any favors. All you got to do is read and you're like, wow, really, dude? All these accusations that came out about you from the former Buffy the Vampire castmates and the stuff with the Justice League and stuff like that and... You talking that tone and, 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 and saying the stuff that you were saying, you didn't do yourself any favors. And all of the YouTube community, even your most loyal followers know you didn't do yourself any favors. That's sad, man. But that's where we were at. You know, the accusations, you know, the in the studio execs, how they, they did everything to sabotage Zack Snyder. They did everything in their power to sabotage him, even putting the company's name and rep on the line. That's some sick stuff, man. What is going on with folks, man? What are they doing out here? That's not how you conduct business. You're talking about millions and millions of dollars on the line and investors' money, too. And you know how people are with their money. That's not very safe and it's not very smart. 
I, I, I don't know what else to tell you, man. That's just sad, sad, sad. They, they were willing to go out their way. Think about this. To sabotage one man, put the rep on the line to do that, and sweep all the bad stuff under the rug because it's bad PR. And they are in the, in the predicament they are in now with this new merger with Discovery. And it seems like with this new merger, they ain't playing no games. And I'm going to get to all that in probably this last segment. You know? So stay tuned for that. You know? See y'all in a few. Or is it over? See y'all in a few, man. But that's crazy, right? Stay tuned. at that but here we are back once again to discuss the rest of this thing and this segment may be a little longer than the last one I don't know it it all depends on what I can remember and let me talk to you with my eyes closed maybe you know um here we are uh fast forward let's say 2020 and all the things that have happened, the accusations and stuff like that, and people feared it may derail or compromise the um, release of the Snyder Cut. And I didn't really feel that way at all because uh, Jason Keylar, the CEO of AT&T and Warner Media, had already made up his mind. He's looking for those subs. He's looking for that extra money. And, you know... He was willing to give Zach everything that he wanted to do. 
But here is a slight problem here. Um, He allowed Zack to add in the nightmare sequence. And we got to see that. But a piece of that was edited. For some silly strange reason. Also. He filmed a. Refilmed. The lake house scene. With a green lantern. You know originally in the. Original production. At the lake house scene. It was two green lanterns. Tomar Ray and. Killawall who visit him. Telling him of dark side. And the threat coming to earth and they scrapped it in their original production. So, and so Zach Reed does it with John Stewart's green lantern because he's probably the most popular green lantern as of date and does a scene with him, you know, using an actor, a known stage actor, again, like Ray Fisher by the name of Wayne T. Carr. And we don't even get to see the scene play out. We see the, the, the picture he shows the picture, but we don't get to see the scene play out. And they told him, well, you can't use that scene because we got plans for Green Lantern. And the only plans they had was a HBO Max TV series for it. But we ain't seen so much as a set photo of it. Just two people cast and not so much as a set photo on that. But they say, I'll tell you what, you can redo the Lake House scene and film Use Martian Manhunter. We'll give you that. Cut out a piece of the nightmare sequence where the Joker talks about we live in, in uh, we live in a society where honor is nothing more than a distant memory. That part was cut out. Cut out the Green Lantern scene and substituted with Martian Manhunter, which I did not mind, but I felt that they could have did something else and filmed an additional scene with Martian Manhunter visiting somebody else but you know we got what we got you know when we should be satisfied with it but it just goes to show that Warner Brothers was still being petty you know Jason Keylaw was scared to you know really say no people want this we're gonna give it to him but Walter Hamada being the hack that he is had no plan has no plan and Toby Emery who was forced to reach out to Zack Snyder and getting his cut out. You know, didn't want to do it, but he was forced to do so by Keylar. But we want to talk about something else. Um, the Snyder Cut comes out. Fast forward to 2021. March 18th. And before that, the reviews come in and their rave reviews, positive reviews, you know, all the people that weren't praised in the theatrical cut was praised, including Ray Fisher, Ezra Miller, Ben Affleck. Everybody was pretty much praised in the movie, you know, even the villains. The villains was made laughing stock. And of course, we got to see Dark Side. But I'm a little. Um, one thing that still bothers me is that we didn't get to see this movie in the theatrical release. Now, some places worldwide did. And the reason why was HBO Max is not available worldwide. HBO Max is available in some countries, but not worldwide as of yet. So they had, they, they put out a list of 
streaming platforms and VPNs that people could watch this movie on. And the movie set records, numerous records across numerous streaming platforms. Of course, including HBO Max, the numbers came in recently that it was the most streamed movie on the platform and one of the most streamed movies of 2021 and will continue to be one of the most streamed movies into this year. And I guarantee you that. But Skynet in, um, is it the UK or is it Canada? It was number one in Canada, the UK, India, that I can remember, and few other countries. It was either number one or number two, but it was it was it was setting numerous records worldwide, causing this worldwide phenomenon. The movement was a worldwide phenomenon, but streaming and VPNs, it became this worldwide phenomenon. You know, very proud of those who supported it. Even what's probably one of the most pirated movies, which is nothing to brag about, but hey, you know, you can't have it all. But, you know, you got to be proud of that. And this, and it proved to be a success. And I have no doubt if it was released in theaters, given a 60-day window, 60 days, it would have made some serious money. But this is a hypothetical. A lot of people don't do hypotheticals. Um... You know, that's that's just crazy. But now, you know, currently speaking, fast forward into 2022. Actually dating back since, oh, shoot, last summer that a new merger was coming. Discovery. Discovery planned on buying Warner Brothers and they had to go through the process uh, through the government and the politics to see, are you trying to get in the monopoly and we don't want that? And he's like, no, my goal is to buy Warner Brothers, you know, because Warner Brothers is in debt. And do you want to know why it's in debt? It goes back to what I said, the dummies, Kevin Sujihara. See, Barry Meyer left it in good hands for Sujihara. Toby Emery and Sarnoff, who got pointed to position and did nothing. She's the head CEO. She's done nothing. And I won't put the blame on Walter Hamada. He's just, uh, you know, a yes man and a pawn appointed by his bestie. But I'm going to put the main blame on Toby Emmerich because he was at New Line Cinema for years and years and New Line merged with Warner Brothers. And he was the head boss at New Line. And New Line went under, forced to being bought by Warner Brothers. That's very disturbing. And he's with Warner Brothers with a high position. That's very disturbing too. Extremely disturbing that this guy is business poison. Just last year, Toby Emmerich was shopping for a job. When the rumors where coming out that a new merger was coming, he knew his goose was cooked. People were already calling for his head anyway. And he was shopping for a job at Netflix. Netflix respectfully declined and said, nah, bro, we good over here. We don't need you. 
thank you for considering this, but we don't need you. And if you want to get a job here, it will have to be at a lesser position because you are not built to be in power. The last several years proved that. They got people watching that, man. Remember, Netflix used to be small and now it's a Fortune 500 company. You think they're going to bring some screw up who takes the companies backwards that he's been in? No. That's not logical. I know I wouldn't be. I'd be like, nah, we good over here. If you want to accept a lower position where you don't have any power, we might gladly accept you, but they're not doing that. They know he's not going to go for that. So nah, they said we good over here, bro. I went, I would put part of the blame on Kevin Sujara too, because he's made some dumb decisions when it came to the IPs, but more so with uh, DC. But, um, Kevin Sujahara wasn't smart about the IPs. All the other stuff he did okay with. But he screwed up when he got involved with a young actress. They investigated that and found that his mis- he had engaged in misconduct. And he was forced to step down. And that was a start of knowing that we are a step closer to getting the Snyder Cut. Step two was Ezra Miller appeared on the CW at, with, as his Flash, meeting Grant Gustin's Flash on the CW show. They were doing the Crisis on Infinite Earths events, and you know they had they, they pretty much uh, expanded the setting and crossed over in the TV. And Ezra Miller made a appearance on the CW event. And it was like, wow. That's when I knew the Snyder Cut was coming. I knew it was coming. I knew it. But over the course of the next uh, several months, we had to wait on stuff, but it was more and more evidence that it was coming. Zach kept on dropping photos and stills, kept on talking to fans, Kept on gathering the information. I knew it was coming. I was told, man, yeah, right. Laughing off, man, waving it off and ha, 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 ha. <laughs> oh, man, you ain't getting that. That's a pipe dream. It doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. In particular, there are two YouTubers, which most of the YouTube community can't stand because they're instigators. They're toxic. They're bullies and stuff like that. Kept on feeding this, this this false narrative it didn't exist and they actually act like they claim they had inside knowledge which was totally bogus and they got exposed for it and of course they want to play the victim of it but they, they, it was totally bogus they didn't have anything they were just repeating what some of the other haters were saying but I remember and like I said in the last segment it goes back to when he had that. Zack Snyder had that watch party. He had two watch parties. One for Man of Steel. I said something. I feel something. We're going to get something here. I feel it. So I watched part of the watch party. I didn't watch the whole things, But I watched the Man of Steel. And I was like, okay. Then he announces he's doing BVS the next week. Comes back the next week, does it? And Henry Cavill says, you need to tell him something? And I said, we're getting it. 
We're getting it. Just wait on it. Boom. Bombshell dropped. Zach said it was coming. So everybody's trying to get in the good graces of Zach. Suck up to him. Kiss his ass. Kiss his toes. Yep. To get the interviews. Get the scoops. What's going on? What's going down? And Zach was smart enough to know who was on his side. Who he could talk to. Zach is no dummy. He's just a nice guy that was taken advantage of. But Zach knew how to promote it. Zach knew how to tease the fans. Zach corresponded with people. Zach talked to people. Zach is a nice guy. I mean, how many people you know? I mean, how many directors you know throughout the course of history, whether it was James Cameron, Steven Spielberg, Wes Craven, John Carpenter, any of them that got on Vero and corresponded with their fans? Talk to them like regular people. When they ask the question, they got a straight answer, an honest answer. Zack Snyder's that only guy. I love Christopher Nolan, but he's not doing that. Christopher Nolan's a weirdo. He doesn't even like computers. <laughs> he doesn't like technology or nothing. He doesn't like cell phones, none of that, believe it or not. James Wan seems like a cool guy, but he's not doing that. I love James Wan. The man bought us Saul. The man gave us Malignant, The Conjuring, Aquaman. The man gave us great films. The dude is brilliant, but he's not doing that. But Zach is an anomaly. He's an entity. He's doing that. James Cameron sure ain't doing that. And I've heard the dude is a total asshole on uh, several interviews, but they say he, you know, he knows how to get the job done, but you know, he's not doing that. Wes Craven before he died wasn't doing that. John Carpenter's not doing that. Although I think he would probably do that. But um, Steven Spielberg's not doing that. Spike Lee's not doing that. Ava DuVernay's not doing that. Zack Snyder is. He even listens to fan theories. And he incorporated one in the Snyder Cut. Their fan theory was that Calvin Swanwick was Martian Manhunter. A group of fans came up with this theory and spotted something in Man of Steel that when the part where Superman is being shackled in handcuffs and being questioned by Lois Lane, you know, he breaks the cuffs and walks over to the window talking to the doctor and Calvin Swanwick. Calvin Swanwick, the general, just stands there firm in his position and not even flinching. And it looks like that Superman is looking at him like, okay, you're hiding yourself for a reason, but I trust you. You know, you're doing the right thing and all that stuff. And people spotted that. People spotted that from afar and said, Harry J. Lennox, Harry J. Lennox would make a great Martian Manhunter. And he, he seemed like he would. Dude's a great actor, man. So Zach was like, hmm, if I can get him in the Snyder Cut, it would be a real treat. And his couple of scenes, it meant something. It really, really meant something when he was in it. And I want to touch base on 
why the theatrical cut is an abomination. The theatrical cut was accused of, of Joss Whedon in particular because he gets all of the blame, but it was more so the executives, you know, who mandated this two-hour Justice League movie. But Joss Whedon and company got accused of purposely deleting POCs. Kind of goes back to the accusations of what Ray Fisher was talking about with them having a problem with, you know, POCs in particular black people. Um, This was pointed out actually by a white fan. A white fan spotted that once the information was gathered who was in the movie, he spotted that, okay, Whedon adds these characters who are all white. This was a white fan that discovered this. And on the other side, X's out all the POCs that were cut. And those white characters that were added added nothing to the movie. They added, they were, they added nothing to the plot. They added nothing to the movie. They were put in for comical gags because they were worried about making you laugh instead of engaging you. They wanted to make you laugh. For instance, the man that was in front of Barry Allen when he visits his dad in jail, you know, he draws on his face real fast. That was a comical gag. Ha 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 ha. Oh, 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 oh. that's real funny. He 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 ha ha ha. That's what he was put there for. The next one is a, a old erratic white lady in a scene where Martha Kent visits Lois Lane at her new job, at her at her job since Clark died, talking about she's a thirsty female, was an old white lady on a TV screen spewing obscenities, but they were bleeped out, of course, because it was PG-13, but she was spewing out obscenities, and it was another gag for giggles and laughs. Ha 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 ha. Old white lady cussing about aliens. Ha ha ha. Oh ho ho. He he he. Ho ho he he he. Oh ho ha ha ha. That's what it was for. Another one I can't remember. It was so redundant. He didn't really serve a purpose. It, it was just, just silly. But the next one. Okay, we go into the POCs that was cut. All the, the known ones. Silas Stone, as we know, had more scenes in this movie than I, I, I thought. He had more scenes in this movie than I thought. He was in this movie throughout the entire movie. Almost the entire movie, he, Silas Stone served a purpose to this movie. His advanced knowledge of the mother box was key to this movie. He served a purpose. His assistant, um, Ryan Choi, who is a, the second or the third version of the Atom of DC Comics. He serves a purpose. He also studies the Mother Box and stuff like that. He had more scenes than I thought he originally had. I thought he had one, maybe two scenes in the movie. He has several scenes and they were all cut. Most of Silas Stone stuff was cut. Iris West, who is the love interest of Barry Allen, was cut completely from the movie. The young lady who played in Amazon, who seemed to be the leader of the Amazons in that chamber where the mother box was, who touches the mother box, she was cut. 
She was cut from the movie. Thanks in part by Jeff Johns, Toby Emery, Kevin Sujara, and Josh Whedon, and John Bird. But yet, so many people hate on, so many fans hate on Zach, but it's funny. All the actors and actresses who work with Zach would jump through rings of fire to work with him again, and they have. Josh Whedon, meanwhile, has people accusing him of all types of disgusting things, but he's praised like Almighty God. A cult. Think about that. And this is what you're dealing with. And I'm going to get back to the merger. The merger, David Zaslav, the guy who is going to be the CEO, the head honcho of this company, because he is the CEO of, of Discovery, made it clear that he was cleaning house. And when he could do so, he did. And just a couple of days ago, he started, you know, making the rounds on that. He kept his promise. But just last year, he did an interview. This was in the summer. And in this interview, he was just talking and talking and talking. And without being asked, he talks about the IPs. And out of the blue, he talks about Superman. He mentions Batman and Wonder Woman. Out of the blue, talking about how important IPs were and how much money they bring to the company. And of course, he mentions Harry Potter and uh, I think Lord of the Rings. And he mentions the Matrix franchise. Although, you know, the last Matrix movie, that's a whole different story. That's, you know, we're going to save that for a different day. I already talked about that before. But he mentions how important IPs like that were. Meaning he got plans for it. And this is with him mentioning it without being asked. We already know under Zaz... Um, and, and Sarnoff, Toby Emmerich and Walter Hamada, that they weren't, they're not going to restore the Snyderverse. They made it abundantly clear when they were insulting fans and slapping them in the face and talking that, that BS that they was talking in those articles. They made it clear. We're not, we're not restoring the Snyderverse. You're not going to get that. And, you know, we're going to do our own thing. But also with the, their plans, they're not making any money. Their last three movies are flops. Three or four movies are flops. The only movie that they can fall back on that say was a massive success, critically and box office wise, was The Joker. The Joker was the first rated R movie to gross a billion dollars. But all but the thing is, here's the deal with that. Go look up the articles on the production, the making, and the process of The Joker. They almost screwed that up. Toby Emmerich and Walter Hamada. They didn't even think that the movie was, you know, was going to be any good or it was not going to be possible. So they didn't decide to invest in it, forcing the director, Ty Phillips, to get two other producing partners to get the movie made. Forcing Warner to split the take between them and three other people. They had to split the path four ways. All that money could have been theirs, but they had to pay back those investors. 
the producers of the film. They screwed themselves. So no, they shouldn't even get credit for that because they never believed in it from the start. And these are the idiots you're dealing with now. And I and by all means, by by all the evidence shown, Zaslav is going to get rid of these clowns. Birds of Play, Prey was a, a flop. It was a good movie, but it was a flop. Uh, Shazam wasn't a flop, but it was a cheap movie you hoped to turn a big profit. It did not turn a, a real big profit. It should have did more, but it didn't turn the profit it should have. It should have did more. Suicide, the, the Suicide Squad, the Gun Squad, flop. Oh, critical success. Flop. It didn't make no money at the theaters. Wonder Woman 84. Flop both ways. Trash 84 is what it's called. There's parts of that movie I like and the characters I like, but the execution was poor. Total trash. Flop. 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 What else did they come up with? Um, Anything else they come out with since then? Aquaman don't count under uh, Hamada. That was Zack Snyder and crew. Zack Snyder produced it, laid the groundwork. Even James Wan to tell you that, but they gave him the credit because he stepped into the DC Films uh, position in 2018. They were in the post-production process of that. The movie had already been made. The story, the groundwork, it was already being made. It was in post-production. That don't count. But from Shazam... All the way up until the Batman. You know, he's only got two, maybe three films that were not flops at the box office. And best believe Zaslav is going to be looking at that big time. Remember, money. Making money is what it's all about. And if you're not making any money. Off your films consistently, you got to go. Zack Snyder, with all those those bad receptions among critics who who is the one influencing these casuals, made money off his movies. Probably not the money they hoped for, but his movies turned profit. All of them he was involved in. All of them. For DC. Walter Hamada, not so much. Not consistently. And they've invested just as much money making no, the last the, the, the previous films as they did when Zack Snyder was doing it. And they got minus deficits on it. And speaking of reception, like I said, I want to touch on this too. The critics had already made up their mind that Zack's movies were are bad besides Man of Steel. They they trashed BVS and they trashed the theatrical version and wanted to really pin it on Zach, but they even they knew better. But they wanted to trash the Suicide Squad, which turned out to not be David Ayer's fault. You know, hence why we're hoping to get the air cut released. They had major influence on the skeptical fans and the casuals. You know, the same fans that say, oh, I do and think for self, but they'll be quick to go on their phone 
go read a review and be like, oh, I don't want to see this movie, man. They say it sucked. This this person said it sucked, so I'm not going to go see it. I'm skeptical. They read reviews instead of going to see it for yourself. Justice League, they were right, but you go see it for yourself. That was total freaking trash, that theatrical version. It was trash to me, but I encourage you to go see it for yourself. You might like it, but I don't. And this goes for any and every movie, anything, any television show, anything, any miniseries, anything. Critic reviews are just that, their opinions, not yours. They Don't let them project them onto you. You know, that's what I'm saying. And Zach had to deal with that for so long. And now, you know, it's like people have a better appreciation for Zach because he told his story in The Hollywood Reporter. Ray Fisher told his story in The Hollywood Reporter. Key Pieces was mentioned how they sent babysitters. You know, to check up on Zach and report on everything and stuff like that on the original production. Then how the post-production had that had gatekeepers and stuff like that. You know, it was reported it was just a very toxic shoot for the, the cast and crew. So many reports like Gal Gadot didn't want to do the falling on the chest scene with Flash where he has a quickie with her. All Joss Whedon stuff. But according to Joss Whedon, logically, it didn't make sense to put Cyborg's backstory in the movie or leave it in the movie. But it was logical for him to turn Wonder Woman into a sex object. And this was the same man who pitched a Wonder Woman movie to do. And you can read his script online and trust me, bro, it's very disturbing. For somebody who claims to be a pro-feminist, a pro-male feminist. It's very disturbing. Go read it for yourself. It's crazy. Another piece that came from the article is when the day Warner Brothers had their screening at the studio and stuff. And, you know, of course, the director was invited. Producers or what have you, they had a special screening before they released it out to the public. And, of course, Zach was still dealing with his daughter's suicide. But Deborah Snyder, his wife, Christopher Nolan, and a bunch of Warner Brothers execs decided they were going to watch the movie. And Christopher Nolan came out of that movie with his head down and told Zach, Zach, do not go watch that movie for the sake of your sanity to keep you from falling off the deep end. Do not go see that movie. And his wife said, yeah, Zach, for the love of God, don't do it. In the industry like that, you need a friend like Christopher Nolan. Christopher Nolan spared his pain. Kind of reminds you of the scene when Alfred was crying and pleading to Bruce Wayne to move on from the cape and cow and was telling him, I spared your pain by not giving you that letter to Rachel, thinking that Rachel was going to 
you know, wait for him and marry him, but she decided to go with Harvey Dent instead. And Chris spared Zach a lot of pain, more pain than he could imagine. Because for all we know, if Zach saw that movie, he'd have been in an insane asylum somewhere or even would have committed suicide himself. And I'm dead serious when I said this. That man puts numerous months, couple of years into this, into those films, only for the studio to do him that dirty. For them not to back him, to trust him. And you butcher his work like that. All because you, you're reactionary. You allow critics to influence how you do business. If you're going to let some critics influence how you do business, guess what? You're going to be in the, predict the predicament that you're in now. You're in debt. That's why you had two mergers over the last, what, three years, four years. All because of silly business decisions based off critical reception. Instead of giving these directors the real artistic freedom and integrity that they deserve, these guys go to school for this stuff. They don't go to school to have their work butchered. That's why the Snyder Cut is important. Anybody listening to this, this part of the segment, this is why the Snyder Cut is important. So this will not happen to any other filmmaker and any of these actors and employees who put blood, sweat, and tears into this again. Get what I'm saying? You dig? So some young director who doesn't have weight in the industry wants to get a film made. He has to get with the right people who trust him, back him, will support him. Don't be like Warner Brothers. Don't be like Kevin Sujahara. Don't be like Toby Emery. Don't be like Ann Sarnoff. Well, she wasn't there, so don't be like those two. Don't be like John Byrd. Don't be like Jeff Johns. Don't be like those four people. You can say Diane Nelson to a T, but she was made a pawn and a scapegoat more so than the rest of them. But don't be like those four guys I just named. To any future executive out there, and you will be at ease. You will have nothing to worry about. I send this message to you. Take heed. Take advice. Take care. And for all my audience out there, thank you all for listening. This concludes... This episode of the Mad Nucleus Podcast, and I'll see y'all next time. Until then, peace out. Good night.